Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, and classic cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and we are in the middle of season four, the Art House Starter Pack. This is a set of six movies that are designed as a gateway into art house cinema. If you've always wanted to get more into artsy movies, these are six great titles to get you in, and we're walking alongside you and helping you understand some of the things that you're seeing, providing a little context. It's meant to be educational, but we also don't have all the answers. Um, it's just opening the conversation and, and hopefully giving some uh, jumping off points of how to think about these movies. Today, we are talking about a film from 1979 entitled Stalker. This was directed by Russian director Andrei Tarkovsky, and it's about three men journeying across a mysterious area known as The Zone. Along the way, they have some deep philosophical discussions, and the plot itself is also um, highly symbolic, probably. Um, We're going to talk about that. Uh, Tarkovsky himself is an interesting figure in cinematic history, and so today we're going to do a deep dive into this unusual and highly influential film. With me again is my good friend and filmmaker, Andrew Camarillo. Andrew, thanks for being here. How are you? And what have you been watching lately? Hi, Andrew. Uh, I'm doing well. Um, thanks for having me. Um, I recently watched uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yes. And uh, it was a great, great film. Uh, I believe it was a, a French film um, that came out last year or the year before. But uh, it was amazing. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought the um, the acting was superb and the writing uh, was really well done. Um, yeah, it was one of the better films I've seen uh, in the last couple of years or that has been released in the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. That's when it came out kind of the end of 2019, but it wasn't released everywhere. Uh, and so a lot of people didn't get to see it, but it's on Hulu now that the critics who did see it all said this is the best thing of the year. It might be better than Parasite. And you know, there was some debate about that and very different movies. But um, yeah, I really, really loved that one. Uh, caught it a few weeks ago. Um, I've been watching, actually, this is a TV show, but it actually is semi-related to the movie we're talking about today. It's a TV show called Devs. Uh, have you heard of it? I have. I've never watched it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a sci-fi show. It's on FX and it's... Um, it's like a mini series, I guess. It's eight episodes, I think, and it's um, directed and or somewhat. Some of the episodes are directed. TV works differently. The showrunner, I guess, a creator is Alex Garland, who um, his other movies, uh, his he, his film work, I guess, is um, his first one as director was Ex Machina, and then um, most recently Annihilation, and both of those movies I really really like and. Um, devs is very interesting i'm only three episodes in but it's very intriguing it's about this um, mysterious technology company and um and there's sort of a uh, there's a death that happens in the first episode and it's very mysterious and trying to figure out what's going on uh, the innermost secret sanctum of this company is uh developing a, a technology and it takes you a while to figure out what they're doing but it's like you know, everyone who figures it out is freaked out that this exists and so it's, and it's really um uh, similar to annihilation that you're like what is going on it kind of takes you a while to figure it out and in the end you're still not really sure in annihilation maybe but uh, it's really um fascinating the the connection to today's movie is 
um, the movie Annihilation is has a kind of a similar plot, uh, and you know, it's very very different movie. It's got some action in it and that kind of thing, but it's about um, a zone sort of. Uh, it's very similar to the zone here where a lot of mysterious things are happening, and it seems to have um, some parallels. Even though I think that the writer of the book uh, that Annihilation is based on has said that. Stalker was not anything of his inspiration, but um, it's they definitely have some parallel plot things. So I, I was thinking about that movie while I watched um, Stalker uh, last week. Have you seen Annihilation? I have not seen Annihilation. No, I will recommend it. It's got um, it, it's all, all women going in as well as Natalie Portman, Gina Rodriguez, um, Tessa Thompson, who I love. Um, anyway recommend that and all of Alex Garland's uh, work, especially actually Ex Machina is my favorite of his. And that's a really um, great movie, but yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I um is devs, uh, the TV show you were speaking of that's based off of some paintings or artwork, isn't it? Uh, of someone who had created um, some artwork sort of of like machines. Is this right? Machines. That sounds very possible, in, but I don't know. Like machines and landscapes, uh, almost like these, maybe rural areas or these like beautiful landscapes, but then there are like machines that are showing themselves in ways in these landscapes. I maybe. bet, I bet you're right because there's, okay. I don't know, there's the architecture at the company is, um, there's some like landscape kind of, uh, terrain that, that it shows. Mm-hmm. So I bet you're right. I, I don't know. I haven't looked into that, but, um, okay. it's, it's very interesting. It, you know, it's almost like, you know, you hear the stories about Apple and Google and kind of these high-powered tech industry and then like the government's trying to figure out what they're doing so there's a lot of different things going on um and you're not sure if they're sinister or not and thinking like they probably are (laughs) and um yeah it's it's uh yeah it sounds fun hard hard not to crack but i have a few episodes left maybe i'll learn more but it's been really good so far but awesome all right well with that out of the way let's go ahead and talk about stalker Сложная система ловушек, что ли? Но стоит тут появиться людям. All right, let's get into Stalkers. So this movie, again, directed by Andrei Tarkovsky, um, it's it's uh dense it's challenging you said a few minutes ago before we recorded it's dense in some ways but it also feels empty in some ways and i think that's a really good way to put it because uh i don't know it's it's full of paradoxes i think and um that's probably a good one to set it up so first of all how how many times have you seen this what's your relationship to stalker well for um the podcast i watched it twice um previously i had seen it three times, I believe, two or three times. Once I had seen it in, um, um, is it the music box? Oh, I can't believe, I can't remember. In Chicago, yes, yeah. the theater in Chicago, music I'm box. Jealous. I've I saw never it there. been there, but I've heard about it. Uh, they had, it was after the Criterion uh, had restored it, I guess, um, to like um, a higher quality uh, that they pre- previously had. And uh it was played there, and it was it was amazing. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's uh, Targovsky is one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, Stalker is an amazing film. I think a very dense and 
difficult film at times, but also really rewarding. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to, to talk about it. Yeah, me too. It's going to definitely just provide some good context for me. I, I feel like, as I, I also mentioned, I felt like, um, having some time to process it really made a big difference because immediately after I was, I was pretty confounded, but, um, had a few things that I could kind of grasp onto and thinking about it for a few days really helped me, um, process it quite a bit. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about the, the plot briefly. There's not a whole lot of plot to this movie, um, uh, just as far as like a, an outline, but, um, it opens up and, um, we're in Russia and there's, and I think, I guess we're in Russia. They're speaking Russian. Um, the cinematography in the beginning is very kind of yellowed out, kind of a, a gray sepia tone, sepia tone. Yeah. Drab kind of, yeah. um, look. And then, um, we see the, the main character who's known as stalker, the stalker. He is leaving his family to, to journey into the zone and we can have a few references to what it is this this mysterious place it's controlled by the military and then we find out he's leading these two other men into the zone and he's almost a guide like a a guru right. or something yeah were you gonna add something there yeah i was going to say i think the opening of the film after the credit sequences at the beginning is very beautiful when we're seeing t- the doors open to the bedroom mm-hmm. partially open partially closed yeah it's very deliberate and then the camera moves through these doors in a very minimal room like you said drab sepia tone color but very minimal very um almost aesthetic in some way mm. and we have this panning shot from the woman the child the man and then back over from the man the child and the woman mm. and the woman seems awake her eyes are open the man is looking over to make sure she's um, asleep he doesn't know she's awake mm. and then he tries to be as quiet as he can to leave and i think it's a beautiful image and we see him like actually exit the screen as the camera is moving back and then he we see his head enter the screen as we're going out the door um, as, as we entered. I think it's a very beautiful setup. And um, the conversation between the man and the woman, the husband and wife, seems to be very important. She mm-hmm. says something like, our daughter is just getting used to you and mm-hmm. um, you're leaving again. Like you're going to end up in prison. And by the time you get back from prison, you know, I'll be dead. Yeah. And then it kind She's of goes. Very just yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he leaves, meets up with these two men, and then basically they the rest of the movie essentially they have to break into the zone, um, and then cross the zone and try to get to the room. So uh, I slow down a little bit there, but once they um, get past this military section, we're going to get into kind of their conversations and stuff. I think later, but just b- big strokes, mm. um, they get into the zone the the cinematography changes the color changes to a a much more vibrant you know color palette uh it's still maybe um drab might be a a word to continue using for it it's not uh like there's just hugely bright colors but it's um i mean it's the colors of our natural world i guess and then um they discuss a little bit so you have a little bit of context of what the the uh, zone is um, essentially a meteor crashed, uh, and you may have to help me out here, but a meteor crashed and then the people there all vanished. Is that roughly correct? Well, that's what someone says. And then it's kind of said, well, that may not be the case. Right. <laughs> so, so right. You really don't yeah. know, but, um, it, that's a little bit of explanation we're given. And then we learned that, um, 
where they're trying to get, there's a, a, a place called the room that is said to give you your deepest desire, the deep desire of your heart. Right. And, um, so the movie is them getting to the room basically. Uh, and it's, uh, as we mentioned it, this is a challenging movie in some ways it, it does require patience. It, it moves very intentionally, very, uh, slowly. And then the, by doing that, the focus is on their conversations and the things they're talking about. And, um, that's really the meat of this movie, I think, um, as well as the cinematography, which is really beautiful. And, um, the landscape is, uh, kind of bizarre in some ways, but yeah, so that's kind of big strokes on the plot. I think maybe we should talk about the production of this movie because it's really an interesting story. And then we can kind of dig into some of our kind of nitty gritty reactions to it. Um, so uh, again, on the production side, uh, basically, from what I know there, and I, I read an essay about this that I can uh, link in the show notes, but um, it was, he was um, partnered with his, cinemat- his um, uh, cinematographer that he typically used, um, but they had a bit of a falling out, parted ways, uh, ended up losing all of the footage. I, I think uh, part of it was that they shot some of the film. And when they went to have it uh, developed, something went wrong and they lost most of it. It was mm-hmm. they they couldn't use it anymore. So it, was, it had to be reshot. And at a certain point, Tarkovsky was just completely exhausted and despondent. And he had a new cinematographer um, that he was working with uh, because they had a falling out, as you said, with the, uh, the cinematographer that he worked with before. Mm-hmm. And they were actually, I think, working in um, Estonia mm-hmm. at the time, northern Estonia near some hydro plants. And this was an area that um, had been um, abandoned in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And there were there was a chemical plant upstream from a river they were shooting at. Um, apparently chemicals were coming down. It was, it's a very desolate, a bare, rugged, um, imposing landscape uh, with like rusted tanks and yeah. cars that were just set on fire, um, in, industrial plants that were just left to waste um and i think the the shooting of this was very difficult i think um some of the actors talked about wading in water up to like their waist and Mm -hmm. just for 30 minutes at a time an hour at a time being in this horrible weather conditions and kind of um atmospheric conditions um and i it, it was a very difficult shooting i believe um from from what i've read but the I think the atmosphere created in the environment that they shot in was um, perfect for this film. Um, It it lends itself towards this very hypnotic and eerie um, space um, that allows for a bit of like reflection, but also has this tension as well. Mm, Yeah, definitely eerie is a word I would use like otherworldly in a way with that, that I think lends itself to, yeah, like what you're saying about, um, what this movie the feeling of this movie is is kind of um spiritual maybe and possibly and very intellectual but um i think that yeah that otherworldly feeling definitely is, uh, contributes to that um yeah so it's, it's also very like waterlogged it's like there's as you mentioned they they're up in they're to their waist in water um there's water everywhere it seems like it's um yeah just ruins basically um so yeah, the, the production was incredibly troubled because what you're saying there with 
the, sh- the shooting conditions having lost essentially i think he'd shot the entire thing and lost it and had to right. start over uh, in a new location it wasn't the originally they shot in a different spot i think yes and the film was completely almost completely different i think they may have only kept one scene or were able to like save one scene or something like that i think it was i think it's the shot when they are in um an area close to the room and you have these sand dunes and you have um, maybe the owl. I don't know if the owl was yeah. in the shot or the yeah, seagull. Yeah. But yeah, during the sand dunes, after they have gone through the place called the Meat Grinder, which is a horrible <laughs> tunnel, uh, which actually has no grinding or uh, sharp <laughs> objects at all, yeah. but just is psychologically <laughs> grinding. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, yeah, so and then the other piece of the production stuff is that um, not so long after this movie was made, Tarkovsky and many of the people involved died because possibly it's rumored because of um, the exposure to chemicals in the water there or something. So, yes, I, yeah, Tarkovsky died of uh, uh, cancer. And um, I believe one of the actors he worked with very often, um, Solenitsyn or Solenitsyn, he he also died from a very similar type of cancer. And I believe Tarkovsky's wife died a bit later from a similar type of cancer as well. So I think, I think it was three people died from a very similar type of cancer, which yeah, is, is really um, scary and yeah. sad. So if it's, yeah. it is connected to this. So. Adds a, an, an eerie, another eerie level to this film, uh, knowing that while you watch it, but um, yeah, I guess that's, that's kind of the, the production back end of this is uh, it was stressful for everyone involved. And um, uh yeah, so so let's dig into the movie itself. I had just a few things as I was taking notes. I I found myself that here's some things about the actual filmmaking that I really liked, and then there's some other things about kind of the the deeper meaning of maybe some of the dialogue. Um, so on the filmmaking side, I made note of the um, the sound design is incredibly minimal, also very eerie and otherworldly. Um, as they are getting closer and closer to the room, it's just like silence, and then like their footsteps have this weird echoey ringing that um, I almost hear it in my head as I'm talking about it that uh, contributes again to that just eeriness and otherworldly feeling. Yeah. I, w- I was really impressed with the, um, the, the, the soundtrack and the, the electronicness that kind of like mm. this fabricated, these fabricated and artificial sound sounds, but they seem to go also with the environment. They mm. were clearly electronic in ways, but they also seem to be, um, in step with the environment. And mm. I, I particularly like when um, the writer, the professor, who are the two um, characters that Stalker is leading to the zone, mm. um, we see them on this um, rail cart going from the village to the zone, and we see shots of their head. Their heads are enormous, massive mm. in these shots because they're so close. But we're hearing these sounds of almost like the track, but also um, like the rail tracks that they're on, but also mm. like the atmosphere is like changing and sounds are shifting and it's difficult at times to tell you know where they're coming from or what they mean but um i really think it adds to the atmosphere of the film yeah it's it's um maybe set up to confuse you a little bit or to it's like Mm. it confuses you in a way that draws you in i think at least that was the experience i had with it and i think that's a good transition into my next thing was that the color palette and that shift because that happens around the same time as they're on the rail cart um going from i guess mm. regular society into the zone um it goes from that sepia tone into uh 
the slightly more lush colors of uh, you know a lot of greens really with the, the nature around them, but also just kind of gray um, with the all the mm. industrial stuff as well. But do, do you have thoughts about like why the shift between the the two color schemes? I have make maybe a theory, but I wanted to see if you had any any ideas. I I don't know. Uh, I mean, I haven't read about it, but it feels to me as if shifting from a place like what's considered normal society, but even normal society seems very strange, right? The, Mm. the, the stalker is in this area in which the village or the town seems to be also kind of, um, there's just trash everywhere. Mm -hmm. The streets are not well paved. No one seems out. They seem to be the only normal citizens out outdoors and all the streets and corridors and alleys feel like a maze, like a very complicated maze. Um, but I, I feel as though, Tarkovsky wanted to set, I, I don't know what he actually wanted. I guess what I feel <laughs> is that the it seems drab and um, minimal and kind of grungy in a way that mm-hmm. feels very uncomfortable. But when you get to the zone, it, it things brighten up. And I think the stalker's relationship to the zone really matters because he says things like, I'm at home, finally, you know, here mm-hmm. at home. Mm-hmm. And it seems to represent a place of uh, belonging. Mm. And I think that may be why the color kind of comes back yeah. uh, in a way. I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. The only other context I had of like another movie that did a similar thing with color was actually the wizard of Oz, which goes, you know, black and white to color. Mm. And of course we're in her dream essentially. So, and that's if you haven't seen stalker yet don't think of wizard of oz color <laughs> color scapes the way this because it <laughs> couldn't be more different but um uh my theory with it was uh, as i was watching and this goes along with some of the, the things they're talking about is that maybe it had something to do with like a spiritual awakening that it was like mm-hmm. um they were enlightened in some way and um and that that's gonna i, I guess we'll get back to that idea once we get into mm. some of the dialogue that I, that I have notes about, but um, that was my thought is like, maybe they were opening their minds in a way um, that it, they were seeing with new eyes, maybe like the, the, the world actually wasn't that different, but they were just seeing it with new eyes. But yeah. Oh yeah. And I wanted to mention to you on the, the sepia tone area, like you're mentioning the village is odd as well. It almost feels like a, like a nuclear dystopia, like something, terrible has happened and right. they're just the remnant of who's left maybe which is also interesting but yeah and then um this is also going to get more into the philosophical side but uh, there's also a lot of shots i noticed um that are framed like like you mentioned at the very beginning there's the doorway framing what we're seeing and we're kind of peering through the door to see them there are shots uh, several shots in doorways like that or through window panes where we're seeing the action of what's happening through a, a frame within the frame of the movie um and mm. and sometimes we're seeing it zoom out uh, i noticed that that movement i think sometimes we probably zoom in as well but it seems like many times we're seeing something and then we zoom out and then now they're in a frame like we, initially we were in the room with them and right and thinking, a lot of yeah. pans i think side mm. to side as well yeah like moving uh horizontally a lot left to right right to left and um sometimes like coming back to something we see something initially we move away from it we're not seeing it and then it appears in a different location mm-hmm. most of the like characters yeah um i really like that yeah i think that's a good that's a good thing too and, and actually there's that shot you mentioned the owl speaking of things coming into different spaces we and that that uh, it is that same shot with the sand dunes and then there's a 
an owl or some kind of bird that swoops down and then vanishes in midair, which is just another very unusual touch to what's going on in the zone. Mm. But um, as far as the frame shots, my my theory on the significance of that maybe is that um, I think this movie is inviting uh, the characters are experiencing this and it's inviting the viewer to do this as well as to kind of um, zoom out from yourself. So see yourself in context, like the way they're inside of a frame. Um, they're, they're thinking about the very existential, like bigger picture things. And, um, and they're wondering like, what's the meaning of life and wondering things about human nature that, um, you wouldn't ask yourself on a normal day, but, um, going along with that spiritual awakening, maybe it's, um, really looking inside and, um, trying to see yourself in context, I guess that, that zooming out, um, motion Mm. made me think of that, but yeah, that, and then, um, I guess that's actually all I had on the filmmaking side. Any other like filmic touches that you want to talk about before we get into sort of the, the dialogue and philosophy side of things? Um, as far as, I I mean, the cinematography, I guess I think is great. I really enjoy, um, the shots, where we're focused on shallow water and we mm. can see uh, underneath the water things like um, there's a reference actually to Andre Rublev, um, his uh, another film by Tarkovsky that he made, um, the Russian iconography painter. Um, there's an, uh, a painting of him or by him, it looks like, I think, um, uh, in the water, the shallow water, we mm. see coins, mm. syringes, guns, fish, mirrors, um, and we we move across the shallow water, and sometimes it will lead to things like uh, the soccer's hand. His hand is just in the water. And in these moments, I think many of these shots are done in the sepia tone. So we're already in the zone, mm-hmm. but they're kind of filmed. They're filmed in sepia tone, uh, kind of abandoning the the lushness and the greens mm-hmm. and the grays. Um, I think this is very interesting. And we also have a black dog that appears at times in color and also in sepia tone. That's in the dream, uh, I'm not sure if it's a dream, but right. it's sort of like the stalker seems to be dreaming and yeah. we seem to be going to sepia tone at these points. Uh, but these are really beautiful images, uh, moving um, camera uh, images that are just, mm-hmm. I think, really spectacular and provide these poetic associations that we can sort of draw what we would like ourselves from coins, mm-hmm. syringes, mirrors, things like that. Um, I think it's very powerful uh, filmmaking. Yeah. And that gets to a point I wanted to make too, that like, I'm, I just keep throwing out theories and I think that the film invites that. And, and probably, you know, as we're talking about, you know, a gateway into art house movies, like this whole series of films we're talking about, I think that's, that's sort of a hallmark for me that I've noticed watching uh, more challenging art house movies is that they, they open the questions more than they give the answers and they let you um, draw your own conclusions or, pull out your own truths from it which uh is not the way hollywood movies are typically teaching us to watch movies and so it's a that's right. a shift in mindset that i think um, viewers have to make um coming to these you know from looking looking at the past of movies from the present time but yeah that um i i, I forgot that it does jump back to sepia a few of those times and i i remember thinking i, I guess you may be dreaming here um but yeah seeing all those things in the water it's, it's really a waterlogged um area like there's water all over the place um and, and i i mentioned this a minute ago before we were recording again but the um 
the parallel to Chernobyl. And I, I, I wondered, oh, this must be like a, a reaction to Chernobyl because it, it just, I have the vibe of like this industrial area that seems to be desolate and um, abandoned that and, and just water everywhere. I researched a little more and realized this came out a few years before that happened. So not a response to it, uh, maybe a premonition about it. Um, but it, uh, it definitely has that, that kind of feel, um, you know, and knowing mm. that they potentially contracted something there while filming is, is, um, interesting along with that as well. But yeah, I think that that connection was in my brain as well. The, the, I, I would say also, I agree. The water is so important. Uh, it seems almost in every scene mm. we have water presented either, um, still water flowing water of a river we have dripping water from sewage <laughs> systems mm-hmm. it seems um we have rain falling indoors miraculously yeah, mm-hmm. um we have water being moved around later in the film it's it's very it's very beautiful um i i really enjoy um i believe there's a shot of a well it seems like um full of water but it looks like the moon it's almost a reflection of the moon at the bottom, mm-hmm. but it's it's this liquid, and something is thrown in, and the liquid uh, changes. the 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 white is taken out, and it's covered more in a darker color. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's really amazing. Um, but water seems to be something that shows up often in Tarkos, Tarkovsky, Tarkovsky's films. Mm-hmm. Um, going forward, uh, it's it seems really important. And also in Solaris, there there are some beautiful scenes with water. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it seems to be something important to him. And like you said, um, I think his films invite the audience. They definitely do invite the audience to bring their own experiences and thoughts to the film and kind of reckon with it in the ways they would, um, you know, from what they have within them and what mm-hmm. they think about the world and what their past experiences are and bring that to the table and engage um with the film and that kind of goes into Tarkovsky's view of how he thinks that we shouldn't, I guess, creating film or creating art, you shouldn't pander to your audience Mm -hmm. too much. You need to have some respect for them and allow them some space to come to their own conclusions. At least that was his view of, um, uh, of creating film. Um, he wanted people to come and bring what they have and be in almost, um, an equitable position, a, a balanced position with him to say, this is what I think of your film. This is what it means to me. And that really moved him. Uh, I know um, I've read where he received letters about some of his films that were some of the critics in Russia at the time or the state were like, okay, well, this is not very good. We don't really like this. Mm-hmm. But um, citizens or the just audience members were, um, some of them were very moved and wrote um, letters to him that I think meant a lot to him. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to to make film in which allowed allowed people to to engage with it how they wanted without kind of leading them by hand or like mm-hmm. pushing them somewhere they didn't want to be so i think that's um yeah it's a challenging at times but i think it can be worth the 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 difficulty too yeah so. i think that's that's a really good point when you sent me you sent me a few quotes from his uh book about film that he wrote and and i that one about pandering and not pandering i thought you know this is probably the least pandered to i've ever been watching a movie like i really have (laughs) to do some work to to get into this and understand what's happening uh or or to just feel like i'm um 
grasping onto some of the meaning of it. And, and that might be a good transition into kind of the, the philosophical side of this, because I think this movie is, is pretty existential and it's, um, it's making some big points about life. Uh, and, and one of the quotes you sent me to uh, from Tarkovsky was, you know, people say, what does his own represent? Is it, you know, X, Y, or Z? And he's almost frustrated with that question. And, and he says it, it represents all of life in a way. Uh, mm. And so I I'd had that in my brain while I was watching it. And, and maybe these, these people are journeying through their lives and different things that are happening are, symbolizing different things or something but uh on the big picture i think this movie is it's really in touch with um the the despair of life but at the end i think it is life affirming and and hopeful maybe even humanistic um and so it, it left me with positive feelings even though it's uh it's not a happy movie really i would say um <laughs> <laughs> right yeah yeah but i i do feel like you're i agree that um it is life affirming and i believe it's community and uh, family and love affirming mm-hmm. as well um even though i think the characters um seem very disconnected in many ways mm-hmm. I, I do think the film is uh, the plot seems to be challenging them to come to grips with their own biases or mm. preconceptions or their uh, even their own in, yeah just the the feelings that they have or thoughts that they have that they want to hold on to that may not mm. be correct or that they or that they are dismissing as inconsequential but maybe have value i really think it's challenging each of the characters in the film to look in themselves mm. um and we kind of see that later in the film when they you know, make a decision to not go in the room at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, they they kind of stop short of that. And it seems to be because of uh, a reflection. And maybe they're also scared, of course, but they are reckoning with themselves throughout the mm-hmm. film. And some of the conversations are um, pointing to that, like this uh, self-inspection. Yeah, absolutely. I, that that was that definitely goes along with some of the things I was thinking. Um, I, I thought about, and they say in literature, there's like a, I don't know, there's six or seven basic plots, and there's like man versus man, man versus nature, man versus God, and one of them is man versus self. And I, as I was watching this, like this is a man versus self story because they're all they're looking very internally, and uh, as you said, examining their biases and that kind of thing. And um, it also made me think about there's a I remember this quote as I was watching and I have never read the novel that this is from. I actually don't remember which novel it's from. I'll figure that out and put it in the show notes, but it's a, it's a Dostoevsky, um, uh, something he wrote. And it's a, uh, here's the quote. I'm just going to read it because I think it applies to kind of what we're talking about. It says, every man has some reminiscences, which he could not tell to everyone, but only to his friends. He has others, which he would not reveal even to his friends, but only to himself and that in secret. But finally, there are still others which a man is even afraid to tell himself, and every decent man has a considerable number of such things stored away. So that idea that um, there's secrets we keep from society, from our friends, from ourselves, even, and and I think that this movie is they're uncovering those secrets that they keep from themselves. That's kind of um, the uh, a theme I thought of, it. and then they have um, there's a line. Uh, I can't remember which character says it, but he said he's talking about basically his conscious and his subconscious. And he says, how am I to know I want what I want? How am I to know that the things that I want are really the things that I want? And this is my conscious wants 
vegetarianism, but my subconscious wants to eat a steak. And so that this idea right. of like a dual nature and, um, you know, outside forces controlling what you're thinking. And, um, it's, it's pretty heady, heady stuff, but that was, um, one of the things that, that kept kind of coming back for me as I was watching. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really like that. Um, I, I wanted to mention, and I think this relates, um, in the film, there is a character mentioned that we never see called Porcupine. Uh, he's the teacher of Stalker. And um, he kind of, I guess, instructed Stalker uh, about the vocation of like what comes with being like this, a person who leads people to the zone. But Porcupine has undergone some sort of tragedy in which his brother had died. And uh, Porcupine went into the room to have the deepest desire of his heart granted instead of his brother um, being revived and living again, um, he became rich. And then eventually he was found porcupine um, that he had committed suicide. Um, and we are unsure in some way of what is going on. And we are unsure of if this story is actually true or what's what's happening. But it, it seemed to be something that I think... Um, really affected Stalker uh, and kind of instructed him about how to maybe engage with his life. And I think later he speaks about maybe wanting to bring his child and his wife back to the zone so they will be safe uh, in some way. So it's this introspection that he's engaging with that um, in learning from uh, that's, I think, very powerful. And um, yeah, I, I felt very, uh, it was very difficult at times with Stalker speaking to um, the writer, I believe, at the end and saying that he sees himself as a louse, someone who does nothing for other people, except that here in the zone, he can make people have hope and he can make people feel well and um, he can bring them a sense of, hey, not all is lost and, you know, there, there is hope that exists and you just have to believe. And I think that was a very powerful message. And even though he's seen as almost like a holy fool, like in Dostoevsky's work, like these holy fools, that exists in the world. Um, but in some way that has great power of connection, of love and, um, of commitment in, uh, to an idea or to belief or to people that I think, um, inspires him to continue onward, even though he has such difficulty, it seems like his belief, um, means so much to him and allows him to carry on. And I think in some way he inspires the writer and the, um, the professor, the other character, as well as his wife. I think his, his wife uh, really inspires at the end of the film, um, everyone. But I, I do feel these moments of introspection and like knowing what is <clears throat> one's own and what is someone else's is very powerful. Um, these external forces and these internal forces. And I really liked what you said. I hadn't thought about that, but a, a film about humans against themselves, a story of a person kind of like, warring in some way with themselves or what's inside i think that's a great way to look at the film yeah and that's funny because i whenever i think about what's a man versus self story it's always dostoevsky <laughs> and that yeah. just the, the russian connection there i don't know what it is about russia that makes people look inside and uh find their internal biases but um that's interesting an interesting thing um yeah so that, that was really a compelling part of it for me um, my other kind of favorite part, I think was, uh, you mentioned the, the visuals of when the, he's throwing a stone down into a well and the color changes. Um, while hmm. that is, while those visuals are happening, there's almost like a prayer that stalker is, um, 
saying over the the writer and the professor. Mm. And uh, here I actually copied and pasted it from IMDb because I it was I found it to be pretty profound. So I'm going to read it really quickly. Um, he, okay, yeah. It's it's almost like we're just seeing different images. We don't even see him as he's speaking, but we hear his voice, and he says, "May everything come true. May they believe, and may they laugh at their passions." For what they call passion is not really the energy of the soul, but merely friction between the soul and the outside world. So there again is that idea of looking internally. And I guess I had to read that a few times before I kind of wrap my head around it. But um, just like the external experiences versus internal experiences. And um, yeah, I guess their, their true passion is, as he's saying, is, is an energy of the soul and not just the experiences in life. Um, that maybe most people are ha having. So that kind of goes along too with the spiritual awakening um, enlightenment idea. <clears throat> but it goes on yeah. and he says, um, but above all, may they believe in themselves and become as helpless as children. For softness is great and strength is worthless. When a man is born, he is soft and pliable. When he dies, he is strong and hard. When a tree grows, it is soft and pliable. But when it, it's dry and hard, it dies. Hardness and strength are death's companions. Flexibility and softness are the embodiment of life. That which has become hard shall not triumph. So that, for me, went along with the hopefulness idea. Like, it seems that um, he's uh, talking about. Uh, he has hope, he has great hope for them, but also he just has um, a view of how to be the most hopeful in life i guess and and that also i couldn't help but think about like some of the teachings uh of christ he talks about being made like a child and the faith of a child and that kind of thing so it kind of goes along with that as well so that was interesting but yeah yeah that's one of my favorite passages uh in the film as far as um the dialogue mm. sort of a prayer yeah may they believe in themselves softness is great mm. strength is worthless and then Speaking about, yeah, being alive is being like soft and growing and pliable, mm -hmm. and then hardness and strength are death's companions. That's, I think it's, yeah, it's very moving. And I think in Tarkovsky's films, that's important. The ability to receive others and receive the world mm -hmm. and engage with it in a, in a pliable and open way is very important because mm -hmm. to kind of harden one's heart and oneself against the world and like almost as if you're going through life and, um, everything is against me and I, I have to harden myself and you don't have companions, mm -hmm. you don't have friends, you don't have family maybe supporting you that it can create. Yeah. Really difficult experiences. So I think that's amazing. His prayer to them that they remain soft and pliable or, you know, move in that direction and, and believe in themselves that they can. I think that's mm -hmm. uh, very stirring. Yeah, that's really great. And that goes along too with um, one of the other quotes you sent me from Tarkovsky about, um, I guess his driving force, uh, something about his driving force as an artist was um, love and encouraging people to love right. their fellow man. I yeah. think that, that exactly fits with, with that passage there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I really liked if just a, a couple smaller things that kind of like yeah. that, um, um, I believe he's speaking to the professor and writer and says, um, Music touches the soul. Why is it necessary and for whom? You may say for for for, um, for nothing and for no one. I do not agree. In the final reckoning, everything has me a meaning and a reason. Mm. So it's it's as if you know there is there is reason, there is meaning, even if we can't articulate it in some mm. way. 
um, there are signs like music that, you know, it stirs humans in a way that it's like, why would this be? And maybe mm. uh, a certain response would be, well, it just is. There's no reason to it. Mm. But the stalker has this belief that, no, there is a meaning and a reason to it. And we will know it in some way at the, some final reckoning um, wow. or that, you know, potentially we could know it. And I think that's that shows a, a lot of signs of belief um, in something beyond mm and their world is very drab and dark. And yeah. I mean, the writer is speaking in such ways as if everything's useless. And I think he says, if a God exists somewhere else, it's in the triangle itself, you know, it's in geometry or mm-hmm. trigonometry, mm-hmm. the calculus of something. But, um, I think the stalker stands as, um, kind of, uh, opposite of that and says, mm-hmm. no, there is, there is meaning. And I may not be able to articulate it. Maybe you can't articulate it, but, there is something and I choose to believe in it. And I think that's incredibly powerful. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, the professor's experience, uh, just, to, I guess, um, is interesting to me because it feels as though we don't know much about him, but at the end of the film, he's mm. presented in this way, surprising everyone and, and wanting to do something really what feels rash, but he's doing something. It seems to save the world from the saviors of humanity who may find the room and the stalkers like incredibly alarmed about this and doesn't want that to happen because he wants to save this space as a sense, a place of hope. But the professor sees it as um, a potential tool for those who want to remake the world in their image mm-hmm. or uh, these idealists who want to, you know, save everything to do horrible crimes potentially. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's a position of someone who thinks that ideas or any abstract ideas or religious ideas or philosophical ideas that are not tied to like the pragmatic world Mm -hmm. can be used by those who are idealistic to just control or destroy. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a really interesting um, part of the film and um, an interesting perspective to throw in as well. Yeah. That's interesting. As you're saying that I'm thinking about, uh, we mentioned with Bergman, um, something that he does in a couple of his movies that I've seen. He has a character who's clearly on one side of a religious um, spectrum and then someone on the other side. And, and the friction between them is, is where a lot of the interesting dialogue comes from. So it seems like, and you, uh, I believe you mentioned that uh, Tarkovsky was a a fan of Bergman. So I wonder if that's um, an influence that he, he gained there, but that's a, um, a little bit of a similarity. So what you just said about um, the finding beauty in music and in art is that uh, I hadn't considered fully until you're just saying it. But on, on, like on a personal note, I, I struggled for a while with, you know, should I um, pursue art as a as a, a career or something? And and the struggle, you know, is does that actually have value in the world? And uh, the more I thought about it, the more I became convinced that it really does. I, I'm not an artist. I don't work in the arts right now. Um, but I, I just really considered the the value that that brings to to people uh, and to the world and seeing that as a way to give back um whereas i struggle you know i'm you know a, a plumber or something is very uh, obviously performing a service but um is it selfish to want to just work in the arts or something um but um came around to the fact that that art does have value and that, and that just goes along with what you're saying and maybe even spiritual, um, significance. Um, and, and here's mm-hmm. something I put on a lot of my Instagram things is, um, cinema is spiritual. And I really think that's true. And I think movies like this maybe dig into that the most. So I, I, um, appreciate this movie for, for bringing that up. Um, but then on another personal note, this actually, I, 
I haven't talked to you about this, Andrew, but it deals with you actually. <laughs> so um, I lived in China for a while. I was a, an English teacher over there and um, you would occasionally message me things, uh, mostly about movies. And um, one day we had a particular coffee shop near the university where we were teaching my wife and I that we like to go to all the time. And we went there and most of these businesses had just Chinese characters on the, the, the sign. So we didn't really know what they were called. We had nicknames for them because we didn't speak Chinese that well. Um, but you sent me, I think you sent me an ebook copy of, or just some quotes from or something and recommended that I read Tarkovsky's book, which is called Sculpting in Time. And um, I thought well, that sounds interesting. I didn't read it for a while, but that title was like that stuck in my brain. I was like, why have I heard that before? And at one day I was going to our usual coffee shop and I looked at the sign and the English name of this coffee shop was Sculpting in Time. And so <laughs> that was an <laughs> interesting awesome. thing that was connected to you as well. And, and then as I made that connection i looked around the decor i was like there's a lot of like cinema related decor of movie posters and things i didn't realize it was just a movie themed coffee shop but there was a chain of them and anyway that's an interesting thing that was in the city xian in um shanxi province of china there's a couple that's of coffee pretty shops awesome. i, I, I actually had forgotten i sent that to you. <laughs> yeah cool yeah i think i needed some things to read while i was abroad and uh you sent that my way and i had that funny connection i don't guess i ever told you that so here we are full circle <laughs> that was um what <laughs> Like my daughter is now four. So that was five years ago. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. That's wild. That's really cool that they had um, a coffee shop named after it and kind of a cinema themed. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. They had like a lot of um, uh, like the professional poster and they're like different things and like a movie camera, an old movie camera on the, the shelf and stuff. Yeah. Interesting. So go to Xi'an and you can visit Sculpting in Time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. But I, so I've read portions of it. I've not read the whole thing you have. And, and so I wondered if you could give a little bit of information about that and maybe if it pertains to this movie at all. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I really like the book. Uh, I would definitely recommend anyone interested in the work of Tarkovsky or just, um, kind of the philosophy uh, of cinema, right? A little yeah, bit. Yeah. Yeah. Film. Yeah. Philosophy of cinema, film theory. Film theory. Yeah. Like, yeah, I would, I would re definitely recommend it. I think it's a really interesting perspective by a very good director. Um, in the, in the book, Tarkovsky says, and I quoted a few things here. I'll read just a, a couple of things about stalker specifically. Um, he says stalker, um, he wanted no time lapse between shots, uh, wanted, uh, the passing to be revealed, to have their existence within each frame. Um, and so he wanted Stalker to be like, if the whole film were made in a single shot, it seemed like he was eliminating um, from the script, like external effects. Uh, he wanted things to be simple, muted. And it seemed to be something of like wanting to observe life without interfering. I believe he said with continuity, with its mm -hmm. continuity. So um, he wanted to, it seemed create shots that were, that took place over one day and that had this flow to them and these poetic associations that seemed to minimize a lot of external like plot driven mechanisms or devices and just kind of focus on what is being shot and uh, the flow of time through the shots. So maybe the movement of water, um, the movement of the characters, but also just the atmosphere, the color tones used, the um, angles in which he shot, the space in which he shot, it all creates for Tarkovsky a certain time pressure in a mm -hmm. shot. 
and for him, um, the rhythm of film, the rhythm of a shot really matters more than the editing. Mm-hmm. For him, editing is just taking shots that were already created and crafted with the right rhythms for what you want and then putting them in the right order. Um, he felt like that's what he kind of disagreed with the idea of montage cinema because mm-hmm. he felt as if it leads the um, the viewer uh, to this direction, this direction, this direction, this feeling, this feeling, this feeling, which is is he just doesn't feel it gives. And here's, I guess, a quote. I'll stop rambling about no, it. That's really guess, interesting. Yeah. He says, I reject the principles of montage cinema because they do not allow the film to continue beyond the edges of the screen. They do not allow mm-hmm. the audience to bring personal experiences to bear on what is in front of them. Montage cinema presents the audiences with puzzles and riddles and makes them decipher symbols. Um, he says, the distinctive time running through the shots makes the rhythm of a picture. Rhythm is determined not by length of edited pieces, but by the pressure of the time that runs through them. Editing cannot determine rhythm. Time imprinted in the frame dictates the particular editing principle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think this is really interesting. And I think it's a, a different way to make film compared to uh, even early Russian film uh, mm-hmm. with I, I Eisenstein in this montage cinema. Um I really like it, and I feel like for what Tarkovsky is doing, it's really important. He's creating this um, this openness and allowing ideas to happen for the audience member mm-hmm. and allowing us to kind of bring our own reflection and consciousness to the work rather than kind of being on this puzzle journey, riddle journey, which I like as well. I like yeah. films that do that too. <laughs> um, but this is just a different type of cinema, and I think for this different type of cinema, you have to have – a different way of shooting and a different way of um, creating um, rhythm in a, in a film and in a shot. And that usually means taking longer shots, not having quick cuts. Mm. That's fascinating to me. And so I want to nerd out a little bit on English major stuff. And that is I had a literary criticism class and we talked about different theories of criticism. And one of them, the one that I kind of identified the most strongly with was um, reader response theory which basically just means the most important meaning of a piece of art is whatever the reader finds in it or whatever the, the audience finds in it. Um, so that's kind of a postmodern idea that, um, you know, whatever I get out of it is the most important thing. And it doesn't completely do away with the author's intentions. But in this case, it sounds like he is embracing that kind of thing and saying uh, that he wants people to have their own experiences with it and is tailoring it to that. I think that's really kind of remarkable. I didn't, fully understand that until you just read that um yeah that's fascinating to me the other thing i wanted to bring up uh, and this is a little bit of a different point but just a film theory side of thing um i I remember when i really started to pay attention to movies and thought you know what i like this because it combines so many of the other arts we have music we have visual art we have um like a stage play drama uh, all in one thing and and as you look at like the history of movies, it it did seem like um, it has a lot of connection to stage drama because uh, even early on, this is an interesting movie history thing. They didn't think to cut things sequentially with editing. Uh, And so there's, there's a, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a movie, it's a really short uh, silent film of a firefighter uh, saving a burning building. And the original cut of it is, showing everything that happened outside of the building and then going back to the beginning in time and showing everything that happened inside the building and not cutting back and forth because 
they mm. were like, this is like a stage. We can't, you know, break the continuity of what people are seeing. They didn't understand that you could edit yet in a montage style, I guess. Uh, and so mm. then there's a new cut where it goes back and forth. But I always thought that was so interesting that early filmmakers had the brain of a stage director. And so there's that connection right. to it. But yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, that, that is interesting. And like, uh, it, Tarkovsky seems to be saying also that like cinema, he really, um, appreciates the, the, uh, um, effects of literature and theater oh. on the cinema and the cinema wouldn't exist without those influences. Yeah. But he also believes that the cinema needs to create its own language and its own poetic yeah. meaning. And like, it needs to go forward, which I think is really interesting, but I think maybe that's kind of like leading where you're going. I'm not sure. But. Yeah. That basically. Yeah. And so like, when I understood the title of his book, Sculpting in Time, so he's saying that cinema should be closer maybe to a sculpture. The way we think about sculpting, you have a brick of clay and you sculpt away the parts that you don't want to be part of the art, mm. basically. And so that sounds like when you're describing the way he's um, capturing rhythm and, and time in a, in a way that's constricted, instead of just considering what are we seeing inside the frame, and what am I showing them? Right. What am I not showing them? He's he's more concerned with the rhythm and the time of it. And so it's like he's, instead of a, a block of clay that he's sculpting out of, it's time itself. He's um, pulling things out of that. And so I, I thought that was such an interesting idea. And it's uh, it's like um, kind of breaks my brain to think about he's, he's sculpting time itself in his movies. And that's how he's thinking about this. So, yeah, that's that's I guess that's what I want to say is just to explain that the title and um, how that relates to his theory of, of cinema. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, it's really important. Um, like how he views time and like what he's doing with it. And he thinks it's like, I, I believe he thinks it's the, um, cinema records time. He says time is the very foundation of cinema. It is rhythm and not editing. That is the main formative element of the cinema. And he actually says that, uh, a director, each director will sculpt time in their own way. And it mm -hmm. reveals their individuality uh, when you see a film like the he says the styles and editing of like Bergman, Brisson, Ozu, Kurosawa have their own perception of the time mm -hmm. and they're seeking and moving to their own kind of rhythm. And when you see like a film by the like filmmakers like that, it has a certain rhythm, a certain movement. And it's very distinct, not just with the image, but if you see the image through time in like a 30 second clip, mm -hmm. it really has a distinct quality about it. And he thinks that's what uh, each filmmaker should do, create their own style. Not that you have to get locked into one, but you mm -hmm. find your rhythm. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really, uh, I think it's really important for filmmaking and probably um just engaging with cinema as well. You have to get into the rhythm that sort of the filmmaker is providing for you. You can bring what you have to the, to the film, but he says something about um, each, each audience member has the right to engage with uh, the film as they would like. And sometimes it's very natural that we grow connected to a filmmaker or to a, a type of film. And that connects to us. And he says it connects mm. to our soul and our spirit, mm. who we are. Wow. And um, that really resonates with us. Mm. But others may not. They can appreciate it from, let's say, a technical level of the film, but it just doesn't resonate with the, their being in the same way. Mm -hmm. So they kind of reject it um, on, in some fashion. And he thinks that's completely natural. And each, you know, but what he thinks um, directors and artists should do, uh, filmmakers, is to be respectful to the audience and allow them to decide and not push them along in one way or another, mm -hmm. but to 
give them the space to engage how they want and bring what they want to the table. And then they'll make the decision if they resonate or they do not. And then from there, it's everything's, um, you know, fair, I guess. Like if you don't like it, okay. If you do great. And you know, let's talk about it. So I think it's a good way to engage with film. That's really interesting. I, I remember hearing somewhere, I don't remember where this was, but that cinema more than other art forms can communicate worldview like you can understand a director's worldview from uh, watching their their film mm. so i think that maybe kind of relates to that i always thought that was an interesting um interesting part of that uh that discussion but yeah, yeah. that's so fascinating um I, I would like to get into tarkovsky himself and a little more of maybe a few of his other movies um in yeah. our discussion but uh, do you have anything else to say about sculpting in time or anything related to that I think the the last thing I would say uh, about, I guess what we're talking about with his filmmaking style, mm-hmm. um, he wants to strive for like simplicity, simple expression, and he says the economizing of means. Mm-hmm. So he wants some simplicity involved, um, but that goes to what we're saying, the kind of openness and the audience member engaging with it how they want. And I think poetic associations are really important for him. Mm-hmm. Um but some of the poetic associations and connections that he's making will resonate with some people or some, yeah, some of the viewers and others, it just won't. And that's just how certain art is, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think I've engaged with work that I can appreciate on some level that like, wow, this is very beautiful, or this is just so well written, but it just doesn't have an effect on me in my heart or in my head that mm-hmm. just is like, wow, I'm changed by this film or like, this is making me see this in a whole, like the world in a whole new way. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But, um, Poetic connections and associations for him are important, and they allow those audience members who will connect with the filmmaker's work to really connect and like bring what they have. So they almost feel like a co-creator, I think. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's kind of going back to what you said about certain views of art, like the audience member is co-creating in a way mm-hmm. with the work um, after it's made. Yeah, wow, that's so interesting. And that there's a line in the movie that I just remembered is something about the zone itself. Seems like it's you create it you're as you go it it's created around you or something maybe right, that's yeah. a comment on uh, the way art is working here as well that's interesting well uh, yeah so let's let's dig into tarkovsky a little bit so he has how many movie credits on imdb he didn't make just a seven feature i seven. think okay yeah yeah compared to like bergman who had i don't know like 50 or something <laughs> right different. yeah um, no zoo with a lot as well like over 50 i think yeah. so yeah um, so I, this is the only one that I've seen of his film, so I can't really say how it compares to others, but, um, I, I liked this a lot and I want to, to dig into some more, um, how, I guess, yeah. Can you compare it to his other movies? Um, I think that this film is one of his most, um, maybe sparse as far as dialogue. Um, I think some of the, the shots are very long compared to other films um, he does do long takes, but this film definitely feels as if he's trying to make it seem as if it's shot in one shot at times. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the last film that he made, I believe, that he finished in Russia. I mean, he he shot in Estonia, but I think he finished uh, post-production in Russia. And then he made his next work, Nostalgia and The Sacrifice, outside of um, Russia and um he also, I think, edited them outside of Russia. So this kind of represents the last film, Russian film of his, I believe. Um, his first work, Ivan's Childhood, 
um, is about a child messenger, kind of almost soldier um, during, I believe, a World War II. And um, yeah, it's a very it's one of the most beautiful war films that I've ever seen. And a very, I believe, anti-war film, of course, like, of course. Um, and then he had a second film, Andre Rublev, about the Russian iconography painter. Um, that is amazing. It's actually my favorite film of his. Um, it kind of explores art and the the role of a person in their relationship with art and with society, um, the church and art, the church and society, these different sorts of roles that they are engaged in. Solaris is a a sci-fi film um, that kind of is in some ways people see it and stalker as sort of the Russian answer in some way, even though Tarkovsky is not answering Kubrick, but to uh, a space odyssey 2001 oh, okay. um, and Tarkovsky is much more, as we talked about a, a bit more minimal, a bit more, we don't know what's exactly going on all mm -hmm. of the time mm -hmm. and things are left a bit, I think more unclear than even Kubrick who has kind of at times a more conventional plot which mm. um yeah it, it's an interesting sort of um um comparison to see yeah. the these solaris and soccer to 2001 a space odyssey and the mirror is a beautiful film which is autobiographical and um sort of mixes poetic associations of his life with uh, a fictional life created um that is really incredible and i think in all of his films weather is really important and is shown quite often rain wind uh, times snow, um, mud, the earth, like like natural materials, the natural climate and environment is really um, present throughout his work. And I, mm -hmm. I think it meant a lot to him. Also, I, I forgot to mention um, that his father was a, a poet um, and his mother studied literature and helped. Uh, she and um, his father worked a lot in the literary scene in Russia. Um, and he also references his father's poems in many of his films and uh, oh. quotes from some of them at times as well. Wow, that's fascinating. Yes, I, so I can sound like you've seen all of those, and it, uh, the mirrors jumping out to me as sounds really fascinating. And the, the fictional version of your own life kind of thing, and I guess that the mirror, the idea of a mirror at all, is very self-introspective and. Uh, that might go along with Stalker a little bit as well, but then also Andrei mm. Rublev um, sounds fascinating too. The, the the connection with art and um, the art in the church, which reminds me back to Seventh Seal. We talked a little bit about the uh, church painter and um, and the, that chess idea even was borrowed from church uh, artwork. So that's that's an interesting connection as well. So I, I'm gonna have to go in and watch all those. I think that most of those are available on the Criterion Channel. For people who are interested, I think most of them have a Criterion disc release as well, um, which uh, are always packed with good stuff. So, yeah, I guess that's a little bit about Tarkovsky. Uh, is his legacy? Um, he, he's a name that I'd always heard, you know, as I kind of learned more about cinema. But and I was like, oh, that's one of those things I need to watch one day. Um, and, but I didn't really have a sense of what his movies were like until watching this. Um, but um yeah he's I, I can see why he's a, a force in cinema, cinematic history and and i think his contribution there to film theory with his book is really fascinating as well so that's andre tarkovsky and any other things to to mention about him um 
I, I would like to read, if possible, a couple of quotes that kind of maybe yeah, sum sure. up his view on the cinema, like that's in that are that's in sculpting in time, but kind of his overall like worldview to get a sense of like where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think watching his films will probably do a better job. But this is a way to articulate some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you referenced this before. Um, Tarkovsky says, "I see it as my duty to stimulate reflection on what is essentially human." and eternal in each individual soul and which all too often a person will pass by even though their fate lies in their hands they are too busy chasing after phantoms and bowing down to idols in the end everything can be reduced to the one simple element which is all a person can count upon in their existence the capacity to love Hmm. that element can grow within the soul to become the supreme factor which determines the meaning of a person's life my function is to make whoever sees my films aware of their need to love and to give their love and aware that beauty is summoning them. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Because you, if you just read that, you might not expect a film like Stalker to come out of that filmmaker. Uh, mm. It's not a lovey-dovey film by any means. Um, it's, that's, <laughs> right. That's a, just an interesting thing. That I think that's, but it does connect in so many ways to the way we, we were we were talking about. That's that's really great. Yeah, and I and I think at the end of the film is uh, very very beautiful. Um, mm. When he they return back to the village and to the bar where he he had um, sort of picked up the writer and professor and taken them to the zone. And his wife uh, arrives and she sees him and they've actually brought a dog back from the zone, which I found really interesting. Mm. Um, I'm not sure how it got back, um, <laughs> but um, she goes home and um, his daughter is there, their child. And she is on crutches. And earlier in the film, it suggested that she is a mutant because he has um, been in the zone and he and his wife, uh, their child was affected in their birth and she's a mutant of some kind. Another thing that reminded me of Chernobyl was just like thinking about radiation in in relation to that. Right. Yeah. Go on, go on. Yeah. And we see um, Stalker carrying his uh, daughter on his shoulders. He and his wife and the dog are now going down to uh, walk to their place Hmm. and we see these nuclear facilities it seems in the background but it seems that the family is now together and it's whole Mm -hmm. and they arrive back home and I think it goes back into sepia tone at that point Hmm. and um, he's kind of dismayed that people the writer and professor don't believe and his wife says you know don't you know don't be so hard on them perhaps like you know they're dealing with things um but he seems to believe he really believes uh and his wife then kind of looks at the camera and then starts speaking about mm, yeah. that she has no regrets she, uh, she doesn't regret being with him even though it's so difficult and that she loves him and her, her mother warned her about him mm. but she is there and she's also says something like maybe i'm just saying this now and she's almost mm. seeming like maybe she's rationalizing it but in some way she still has this belief of faith that she regrets nothing. She's glad that um, it's kind of like a bittersweet love that mm. she's had with this person. And there's this kind of resilience and this faith through all that seeming to go on, even though she's not in the film very often at the beginning of the, in the end, she's present. And I think it's about human dignity, human love. And for Tarkovsky, he kind of said, it's like miraculously, it's proof against the blunt assertion that there is no hope for the world. Mm. Um, so this human love and human dignity kind of stands in the face of this nuclear devastation, um, Mm. maybe views that everything is meaningless, these existential questions that could lead towards nihilism. There is an answer through 
human love. And I think that is really powerful. And the film ends um, in a way that I think validates that and uh, speaks to that, uh, even though throughout much of the film, these characters are questioning, you know, almost their existence and what the meaning of their lives are. It seems at, in the end, there's this um, faith that abides. Mm. And I think that's really um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I've kind of forgotten about that, that address to the camera, because that's a really striking moment. But yeah, I think that that definitely goes along too with the, the hopefulness that we mentioned. Um, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting ending that I didn't expect. I didn't expect us to come back to, the family and all of that. And, and actually that scene where they're, they're kind of all going out together and it's, um, yeah, the, the wholeness of their family is seen again, reminded me also of the end of seventh seal where we see, um, the, uh, the actor and his wife and they see the dance of death in the distance mm-hmm. and then they go off and they're okay. And they're like, they're the hopeful hope for the future, I guess. Uh, so that's another right. interesting, maybe thematic connection there, but yeah, that's a great, that's a great ending. Well, all right. Is there any last thoughts about uh, Tarkovsky or Stalker before we wrap up? Uh, I think that's it for me. Well, good deal. Well, thanks so much. This has been so interesting. And uh, this is, again, this is a heady film. It's a a kind of dense film in in a lot of ways. But I think um, hopefully... um, now you feel free to bring whatever you want to to it because it seems like that's what Tarkovsky wants. But also, um, hopefully there's some context in this uh, discussion that can help you grab into it a little bit, but thanks so much, Andrew. And uh, I appreciate you. And you know, next time, let me see, or is it, uh, it's Varda next, isn't it? I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Varda Vagabond, Vagabond. Her film. Yeah. I have not seen any Varda either. So this is another, and she's one that I've really been wanting to get to. Uh, so we will watch Vagabond for next time. I'm really excited for that. And uh, till then uh, we will say goodbye to Andrew. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you, Andrew. And that will do it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And if you want to support the show, you can leave us a rating and review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you are using. Uh, keep up with Arthouse Garage on social media. We are at Arthouse Garage on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. And you can find video reviews on YouTube and reviews and events uh, event coverage on the blog at arthousegarage.com. You can also hit me up on email, andrew at arthousegarage.com. And that will be all. Thanks so much for listening again. And until next time, keep it snob free.